is lead and believe. I believe, Benny. Now can you help me lead? Oh, boy, Brad. Here we go again. Absolutely. This is a podcast for leaders who want to build a world-class culture. I'm Brad Gustafson. And I'm Ben Gilpin. Ah, uh, we are back at it. Brad Gustafson, how you been, my friend? Life is good. I'm so excited, Ben. I love meeting with you because we get to talk to really interesting people about leadership and life and culture. But today is like circled on red in my calendar because not only are we talking to someone who I think is a leader, uh, founder of AuthorsUnite.com, but also someone who has talked to countless, as in more than 1,000 leaders in the field. And if if someone like that won't have insights that I don't have. I don't know who will. That's right. And so who do we have with us? And by the way, no pressure. Tyler Wagner is who we have with <laughs> us. No pressure, Tyler. But we are we are very excited to talk to you. So just to really launch right into this whole deal, what is something that you've learned from leaders and authors and, and other people that you've interviewed along the way that uh, might be surprising to some of us or just not commonly understood? Well, maybe, at least in my industry, this is understood, but to the general public, maybe it's not. One of the things I learned at a very young age, which is why I decided to write a book, is the root word of authority is author. And there's something that comes along, like once you become an author, even if you are, (laughs) this is going to sound funny, but it's just the truth. Even if you are not an expert in something, people view you as an expert in everything because you're an author. (laughs) So it is one of the best ways to basically just brand yourself as an expert. Now, I want to be clear. I am recommending that you are actually an expert. (laughs) But like it really does like change the level of just who you are. And like when you walk into a room and people ask you, what do you do? And you tell them you're a best-selling author because I did it when I was 19 years old, right? And it's just crazy to me to think where I'm at now at 31. And um, so, yeah, I just think Becoming a best-selling author will change your life. And it's not me even trying to sell anything. It's just the reality. If you become an author, a best-selling author, people view you differently and it really helps things out. So That resonates with me. Do you give it? I know you give advice to lots of authors, but what do you tell them about this fact or experience so that they're wielding their authority, whether it's formal, informal, formal earned or, or unearned, but so they're wielding it, what's the word, responsibly and authentically? Yeah. I mean, I think, well, once you become one, I mean, I think some of the things we tell our authors, you know, you put it in all your social medias and then also it really helps with getting featured in different outlets, right? Like uh, Forbes or TV, podcast, PR. I mean, probably some of the reason I'm on this podcast right now, I mean, Authors Unite, we do eight figures a year. That could be part of it. I do lead a fairly, I mean, it's a small business in the general theme of things, but some would think it's a large business depends on your view. Well, Tyler, if you're calling it a small business, then I think Ben and I are uh, working with microscopes here. So you're, you're, you're doing pretty well. <laughs> no, no. Well, well, I mean, if you compare it to like Elon Musk or something. Okay. Or, got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think eight figures is still considered a, a small business. I, I could be wrong on that, but I think it is. So regardless though, that, and then on top of it though, it's like, I think if you want to become an author, what I always tell people is this. I don't really like the business card thing that people say like, oh, it's your business card. It's true, but I think that devalues it in a sense. I think you need to be responsible to answer your question. Like become the actual expert and then deliver all the value in the book and really become that person who is the best-selling author of whatever topic you wrote about. 
And then people take you more seriously, but it's not in an inauthentic way, right? Because you actually did the work and now you're getting the actual accolade for it. Okay, I'm dying, I'm dying to know something here related to this. So uh, clearly you've read and worked with a lot of people. So on the positive side of things, what stands out from what you've read and who you've talked to as, and I'll use traits, not people, I don't, we don't need a list of names, but actually like traits or stories or behaviors of people who have walked the walk and have that deep leadership that goes above and beyond the book title. What jumps to mind as, as you know, examples or behaviors? Or dispositions, I don't Yeah, yeah, I think it really comes down to, and I mean, I guess a lot of people would say this, but it's like talent is one thing, but work ethic is another. And for me, what I found is, and I actually was just on a podcast before this, and I mentioned this, I will never uh, let anybody else down, but sometimes I'll let myself down. So I think if you have accountability in your life, like if you have a client, right, for your business, you're not going to let that client fail because it's just like it's a part of your business and you don't want to upset that person. But if you set an alarm for 7 a.m., sometimes you'll hit the snooze button and get up at 8. And that's because we are willing to let ourselves down, but we're not willing to let others down. So from what I've seen with people being successful in the author space and in any space is they put themselves in positions where they are accountable to other people. Uh, it's like getting a trainer when you work out, right? Like if, if you tell that person you're going to meet them there at seven, you'll be there. But if they're not there, then maybe you wake up at eight and then you go at eight o'clock, you know? So I think if you can position your environment like that, it's very hard to fail. Okay. So Tyler, I'm curious, how did this all start for you? Yes. I mean, you talked about, you talked about 19, but I mean, what was a, a triggering event or, or where along the line where you're like, this is what I'm doing? Yeah. So I read the four hour work week, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with by Tim Ferriss. And I read it when I was 18, 19 ish. And once I read that book, I was in college and I realized that I didn't anything that a college degree was going to get me, I didn't even want. And once I realized that it really clicked for me, I was like, okay, so I'm paying, I forget what I was even paying. I think it was like 40 grand a year. I mean, my dad was splitting it with me and I was taking out loans. I didn't have the money. So regardless, I was going in debt and all this stuff for something I didn't even want. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. (laughs) Like, why am I doing this? And then I dropped out of school and I decided I wanted to be a public speaker. That's why I wrote the book because I realized that a lot of public speakers that were paid high fees, they were best-selling authors. So once I became a best-selling author, I did get paid three to five grand for our keynotes at 19, 20 years old. So that did work for a little bit and it maybe could have kept working. But what took off way quicker was people started asking me, hey, you're only 1920. I want to write a book. How did you write it? How'd you publish it? How'd you market it? So I really fell into the business. And then, you know, now I'm 31. So 12 years later, we've done over 3000 books. So it really was just a kind of luck in a way. And that's how it happened. Well, I mean, I hear you say luck, but I can also hear there's a drive. You've got an dr- internal drive that um, you have a thirst to kind of keep going. And, and whether that's through marketing yourself, publicizing yourself, but there, it, it just sounds like that it's not enough, that you're driven. Yeah, I think, and I've actually uh, talked about this on some other shows too. Part of that, I think, is like I've seen growing up, I saw my mom and dad work so much. So I kind of feel, and I had, and this is not the case for most people, uh, from my understanding at least, 
I had like an exceptional childhood. Like I, like my child, I cannot complain in any way. Like I just, it was the best childhood I've ever heard of. And it was all, so I almost feel like it's not obligations, the wrong word, but it's just like this thing in my head. That's like, okay, I was given so much as a kid and had such a great experience as a kid. Now that I'm an adult, I would like to give back to my parents and to others to just make their experience as good as possible because thus far on planet earth, things have been a okay. (laughs) Tyler, Tyler, best or craziest or most unexpected childhood memory. No, I couldn't even share that on here. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be uh, <laughs> no, no what, problem. That's okay. Uh, no, no. I mean, let me think about it real quick. Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, I mean, this is—it's not an exact memory, but what comes? Yep. To mind, I started at a very young age with kind of the the party stuff, which I'm actually grateful for because. I kind of got it out of my way at a young age so that when I got to college, I was kind of already over all of it, which most people, that's when they start in college. So all I would like to say is that like, I kind of just, it's just true. I lived kind of like a rock star life when I was. <laughs> that's good. That's good, man. Um, but uh, maybe that's why I lost my hair at a young age. I don't uh, know. <laughs> oh, and see, Brad knows all that about me too. That's why every now and then when we, when Brad and I get together, he always makes sure to buy me mashed potatoes. Um, true. Is that accurate? True Guess story. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So let's, let's get, get back to a couple of things I got. Um, you deal with a lot of entrepreneurs, leaders, authors, writers, all these things. And what are, I'm sure that as you've worked with so many different people, you see, you do see traits, but you also see things that maybe are pitfalls. Mm-hmm. So how would you, what would you say to the audience about things that are these common pitfalls that people have to work past and work through? Okay, here's the number one thing. And I literally created a whole other company on this. So it's called Infinite Partnership System. And this teaches how we grew Authors Unite to eight figures a year. And what it is that I notice, and I'm sure you guys are aware of this being in like the online space just in general, is there's so much talk. And I want to be clear before I say this, this stuff can totally work. It's been proven to work. I just don't think it works at the rate that is is at a percentage that is good. Like I think there's a better way and I'd like to present that way. So what it is, is this, you build a sales funnel, you run Facebook ads, and magically you create a six, seven, eight figure business, right? Like Facebook ads, sales funnel, and it all works out. It's just the reality of that is that that it's very few people that succeed that way. It can happen, but it's very, very rare. Another way, and this is what I think is a pitfall and completely overlooked, and this is what we teach in Infinite Partnership System, is I grew Authors Unite to Eight Figures through partnerships. 99% of it is through partnerships. So what I discovered is we're the best in the industry at book marketing. So I realized I was looking in our CRM and seeing where all the money was coming from. And I realized one year that one of our publishing partners had referred over a million dollars in business to us from one publisher. So then it clicked for me. I was like, okay, well, if I can just find 19 more of, of that guy then we'd have a $20 million business. If I can just find 19 more of those type of publishers. So then I told my whole sales team, I was like, all right, stop everything. No more Google ads, no more SEO, no more Facebook ads, none of this. All we're doing is we're reaching out to book publishers, ghostwriters, editors, and PR agencies. Those were the four 
top partners that I figured out would be the best to refer to us and we could refer to them. And literally, I mean this in no exaggeration, we have reached out to every book publisher that speaks English in the entire world, unless they've been created in the last like three months. We, every single one. And I think a lot of businesses, what they don't realize is they have a few referral partners, but what if you had 10,000 referral partners? Like what if you had 100,000 referral partners? Like how easy would your business run and like how how profitable would it be? It would be crazy. And with zero risk, because there's no spend, there's no tweaking the sales page. It's just like partnerships. That's all it is. So if you have a good product or service, find the people that offer complimentary services, reach out to them at scale and partner with them and give them a commission of all the sales they bring you. Incentivize them greatly and they will bring you uh, sales. Am I simplifying? Am I simplifying this too much when I say to you, quality over quantity? No, I mean that's so that actually, you know, what's funny. At first, we did quantity, and then from quantity, though, we realized who our top people were, and then you can start to narrow your outreach, right? But you, it's it's kind of hard to discover that at first. So you kind of got to go like just throw everything at the wall, and then you realize like, oh. Out of all these types of people, book publishers are the number one company or person that are the best referral source. And in fact, nonfiction book publishers are the best referral source. And you start to dial in more and more. So I just think there's so many people I hear they talk about, they're like, oh, I have a couple referral partners. And I'm like, okay, you have a couple. Who are they? And what if you could find a thousand more of them? You know what I mean? Like they just don't think like that. So I would just invite people listening to just increase your referral partnerships just by building genuine connections. And you could literally create a seven-figure business fairly quickly with no risk. Like it's very possible. This is fascinating to me. And I hear your pitfalls. Brad, you're an author. You know, tell me, I mean, there's got to be questions you've got for Tyler because you've you've done this multiple times. Yeah, I'm, the weird thing is I'm out, Right or wrong, I'm always looking for value and then how things apply to to other people. So when I hear you guys talking about this, it actually, to me, transcends publishing. I'm thinking like, and Ben, you hit on this too, with the quality over quantity, how in our lives as leaders or even within our own families, can we find the things that matter most? And then like Tyler said, do those more. And it's not that we trim out the other stuff that doesn't quite have the return on investment, you know, because some interactions might not (laughs) be super impactful, but they just are needed. But I'm also thinking about just reflecting on how we show up in life and as a leader, understanding, having the self-awareness and awareness of your impact on others and realizing where your time is most valued and then trying to, I don't know, trying to do that in a way to serve and honor others, if that makes sense. It does. It does. I would also add there, Tyler, you have, as you're telling that story, there is a part of almost like a trial and error. You know, you... You even admitted to you've done it. You did it one way and it wasn't having the impact that you wanted it to. And so you shifted. And I'd love to hear a little bit more where you dive into the willingness to change course. Yeah, you know, I think I'm one of the most willing people to do. Like I don't, any decision I make, I don't hold it so closely that I'm like, oh, if this is wrong, then I'm like a failure or something. Like I love to be wrong. Like. 
I think it's the most, one of the most exciting things ever, because then I know that I'm closer to getting it right. You know, so I, I think that's actually what prevents a lot of people from success is they are so hesitant to try something because they're so afraid to fail. When indeed, the more failures you can rack up, the closer you are to succeeding. And what's funny is I think I actually got that from the first business I ever ran. It was a painting business in college. And we did door-to-door sales to sell people to paint the exterior of their house. And we were a team of college painters. So we would, um, either way, from knocking on thousands of doors and 99% of them saying no, and still being able to create a six-figure business with 99% saying no, 1% saying yeah, it's probably less than that, actually. You know, that's when it clicks, right? It's like, oh, wow, sometimes success is really just a numbers game. And you can be more calculated about it, right? Like the more intelligent you become and based on data and stuff. But ultimately, sometimes it's just a numbers game and people aren't willing to put in that work. So sometimes being a leader is just actually doing it, like knocking on the doors and then your team watches you do that and then they do it too and then it amplifies the effect. I wonder if sometimes it's not exactly about fear of failure, but it's just not knowing what the options are to try. Yeah, it could be that too. And you know what? It goes back to, I think what I said, it's like overthinking it, right? So to me, the way I view things, it's like almost everything is just about relationships. That's the way my brain works. But we've all been sold this thing of like Facebook ads, SEO. What does Google think of your website? It's like all these things. And they all are great. Like they they can all work. But at the end of the day, whatever happened to just old fashioned picking up the phone and just calling somebody, (laughs) you know, and just like connecting with them and being like, hey, you're a book publisher. You work with authors. We are too. I'm not trying to compete with you, but we also do book marketing. Do you do book marketing? No, you don't. Cool. How about we plug in? You know, and it's as simple as that. Click a week later, they refer you 10 clients. And that's literally how it works. So that can work for any business. You just got to be willing. And, and not every call I have is that simple. Obviously, some people say no and whatever, but um, just be willing to do it. And I think it's, it's about finding the right people that you can help them, they can help you. It's scaling that out. That's my experience at least. Tyler, so Tyler, you are a leader of leaders. And I'm curious, do you have your own network? Do you have do you have people that um, that you reach out to that help you? Yeah, I do. So, and what's interesting is um, my mentor is, I think the most, like at least that I know of, the most elite leader of leaders. And there's a book about that. I'm blanking on it. But uh, that's like in the business world, they say that's like the most elite you can become, right? You can become a leader of like followers. And then once you're the leader of leaders, that's like the fourth tier. I can't remember the book. I think it's called Winking Grow Rich, I think. Regardless, his name is Jason Gaynard. He runs this company called Mastermind Talks. And he was my first mentor. I helped him put on his first event. And I realized as I've grown and just done my own business, a lot of what I do is like subconsciously things that I learned from him. And that's actually how I came up with Authors Unite along the way is I was like, okay, a lot of people want to write books. They're reaching out to me. But if I focus on just helping authors, authors are leaders. So if I focus on helping them, that'll trickle down and help everybody else. You know, so if you can find that in your own niche, I don't know. It just works, you know, so. Brad Gustafson, you got a uh, leader believe for me? 
I do. I, I want to lead differently based on one thing I heard Tyler say. It, all very fascinating, but the thing right away off the bat, I thought I should do that differently. It's when he talked about letting yourself down. I do. I like I work really hard not to let other people down, but I it's easy for me not to keep appointments with myself, whether it be writing appointments and, or things like that. I am very interested in trying to find an accountability person just to share some vision and and the why behind a current project I'm working on, partly just so I can stop not doing it. There's a double negative. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah, it was. Or maybe so I can... Especially from an author <laughs> yeah, himself. forget that. We'll just move on. <laughs> so that means you, by deferring, Benny, you are going to tell us how something you are now believing or good, uh, kind of a mindset type thing. I actually think most people do know this, but I think it's worth saying again. And I'm going to quote Tyler. You know, when he said talent is one thing, work ethic, work ethic is completely another. And And that's the, to me, that would be the piece that... As whatever realm you are in, as a leader, people are constantly seeing your work ethic, and you also see that work ethic. There is nothing more. You are Your work ethic defines you in so many ways. Are you will, willing to take that risk? Are you willing to, to try new things, to change? Are you willing to, to, get, to roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty? To me, work ethic is what it's all about. Benny, Benny, before you go to Tyler, here's an insightful thing you made me think of, and same with Tyler. I want to be now more careful with my work ethic to make sure I'm not just dogmatically working, but that I'm thoughtfully working and ready to pivot if there's a different way to think about something and not be afraid of the failure, just trying something new. Makes sense? Like, I think we could dangerously work hard, but are we working in an impactful manner? Hmm, like That's something question. this conversation made me think of. All right, Tyler, you, as is customary, you get the last word. We, of course, like when you correct Ben and, and adjust what he said, <laughs> but we're really open to anything that you have to say. Do it. <laughs> no, the only thing I want to say, and I think, uh, Brad, you nailed it there, is that it's not about actually fixing your own ability to be accountable to yourself, but putting yourself in environments where you're always accountable to others, right? And I think that's where people mess up is they hear what I say and they're like, okay, I need to do better with myself. And it's like, well, maybe that's actually just not the best way, right? Maybe it's just not. Maybe if you want to accomplish something, always put yourself in a situation where if you don't do it, it negatively impacts someone else. And if it negatively impacts someone else, you're probably going to make it happen because who wants to hurt their friends? And like, nobody wants to do that. So put it in that positioning and you'll probably do what you say you're going to do, which it sounds easy, but it's really not that easy all the time. So regardless, this was a lot of fun. It's fun to have two people interview. So thanks, guys. Man, you nailed it. That was a great way to, to end. Benny, you want to point people, if they want to learn more about Tyler and his uh, interviews and book, et cetera, you want to point them in the right direction? Absolutely. So first off, people, you're going to find uh, you're going to find Tyler on, you can find him on LinkedIn, but uh, even beyond that, go to authorsunite.com. Uh, that's where Tyler is the founder. That's a great space. Um, he's also got his own podcast and and Brad wasn't joking. He has interviewed a lot of people on that podcast. So check out the Tyler Wagner podcast. Tyler, this has been great. It, it has been for me just listening to the process and listening to your story and your journey is quite inspiring and it's been uh, been powerful to listen to that. So I appreciate you coming out and joining us. Thanks again. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for having us. 
Creating a world-class culture requires intention and optimism. And sometimes it's the small steps a leader takes that matter the most. We hope today's conversation helps you move hearts and mountains as you lead and believe. believe.